3 a.m. Tales of Terror contains explicit content. Listener discretion is advised. Hey guys, it's Jamie. I know I don't normally put my voice at the beginning of the episodes, but we forgot to mention a trigger warning for these two stories in this episode, and I wanted to put that out here just in case. Our first story mentions rape, and our second story mentions domestic violence. So if that is anything that would hurt you to listen to or you know harm you to listen to or you wouldn't want to listen to it I just wanted to make sure that you knew about that before you went ahead and listened and if you are still going to listen just proceed with caution I just wanted to let you know and let you be aware of what is mentioned in this episode just so you're aware thanks guys enjoy Welcome to 3 a.m. Tales of Terror, where we tell you stories of the paranormal. I'm your host, Jamie. And I'm your co-host, Charlie. And in today's episode, I know... So I normally don't really want to do... I didn't really want to do two episodes with two stories back-to-back, but today is a special day, and we're running short on time. So we're going to do... We, we, we're doing episodes shorter. Uh, episodes that are going to be shorter for us. So... Today, this episode, we're going to be telling you about 455A Sackett Street in Brooklyn, New York, and the House of Death in New York City. So, okay, so we're going to go ahead and just jump right in. So it might be a little bit of a shorter episode, but you get to learn about two things instead of one. So, from the outside... 455A Sackett Street appears just like any other Brooklyn apartment. You wouldn't give a second glance to this building should you pass it by. However, this building is host to a long and dark history. This building has been plagued with a disturbing history of unexplained fires, the voices of children, and other terrible tragedies over the years. In April of 1998, Jane and her family moved into 455A Sackett Street, completely unaware of its dark history. And we have her first-hand story. I wrote about this briefly in a prior article in 2001. To recap, we moved into 455A Sackett Street when I was 14 years old, on April 1st, 1998. From the moment we moved in, something was not so was so not right. It was an incredibly dark apartment, though we should have been thrilled because it was the first apartment we'd ever had, we'd ever had, with more than one floor. There were three floors, including the basement, and it was nice if you could ignore the feeling of someone standing just behind you or staring at you wherever you went. Within two weeks of moving in, I was raped in my own bedroom by a man from the neighborhood. An elderly woman who'd lived right next door for most of our life informed us that no one had occupied our apartment for more than a year at a time since as long as she could remember. She also related that terrible tragedies befell all of said people, within only a few weeks of moving in, continuing through the day they moved out. Though we all had eerie feelings in the apartment, we'd not notice anything too weird. The apartment was very uninviting, cold and damp. We tried to decorate it, warm it up a little, but nothing helped. Another thing was that no matter what we did, we could not get a phone installed. We had the phone company over about four times to fix the wires, but no matter what they did, we would get absolutely nothing, not even static so we were pretty isolated. 
The entire time we were there, weird things, ha weird happenings continued. The ceiling above my brother's bed collapsed. The only reason he wasn't hurt is because he got up to use the bathroom. A fire started in my room. The fire department never determined why. If my friend hadn't stopped by and rang my bell, I would have continued sleeping. Within five minutes of answering the bell, my neighbor came out screaming that my room was on fire. I ran up and the entire back wall was in flames. I tried to put it out with a blanket, and unbeknownst to me, the door had closed behind me. It went from daylight to dark in two minutes, and I started to pass out. Thankfully, my friend ran up and opened the door, carrying me down the stairs, or I, had, or I would have been literal toast. After that, my neighbor confided in us that strange things have always gone on in my building. In the 30s or 40s, a fire had killed a little boy within a month of the family moving in. In the 60s, a couple were whacked by the mob because of some insidious affair. There were no records because the church's records had been burned in a fire, so we couldn't get any more information than what people said. There were other things that happened. A friend of mine coming into my apartment and seeing a little boy in burnt rags staring at her in my bathroom mirror. She ran out crying and refused to set foot in my door again. Another friend who slept over, note both friends were not told of our experiences, and awoke in the middle of the night swearing that she saw a woman walk into my room through the door. My brother and I heard children crying and laughing one day downstairs, and when we tried to leave my mother's room, we were locked in even though there was no lock, for an hour before it finally opened. My mother was downstairs doing the laundry when the lights turned off in the basement and she felt a cold, scaly hand grab her shoulder. Needless to say, my dad did the laundry after that. Weird, weird smells, sound, sa oh my God. Weird smells, sounds, and the feeling that something or someone did not want you there. That something bad was going to happen to you and that you were not welcome at all. We moved out a year to the day later, as soon as we could find a new apartment. We found out some more after that. The people that moved in after us tried to renovate the basement and found the body of a little boy in the wall. They left suddenly one night not too long after and never returned. Another couple moved in and left as inexplicably as the last, and so on and so forth to this day. Since then, we met a woman who had gone to my mother's office. She's a nurse that works in a doctor's office because of a nervous condition. My mother noticed the address on her insurance card didn't match the one listed, and the woman explained that she had only lived at 455 A Sackett Street for a few months and had to leave because her mother had died along with various other tragedies from the first week of moving in. My mother asked if the woman ever noticed anything weird. Well, the woman explained exactly what we had gone through, perhaps the cause of her condition. We're all fine now, happy to be out of there, and we've moved on. We still see our old neighbor once in a while, and she always says the best thing we ever did was move out of that godforsaken house. Needless to say, we agreed. We've not been haunted since, and life is good. If there is one thing we learned, I'd say... It was to trust our instincts. If you get horrible vibes from a place, don't put it off as folly. It might just save you a whole lot of trouble. Also, that's very true, so please follow that advice. Yes. Several years after Jane and her family moved out of the property, she posted her story in an online forum. To her amazement, another former tenant replied to her, telling of their own harrowing experience within the same house. So this is that encounter with a previous tenant. I lived in the house for three years in 2003. It was the creepiest place ever. 
I had the room that I think was your brother's. It was the size of a small closet. The ceiling still had a bad patch job from where the ceiling probably fell in before. There were also remnants of the fire. I had to remove the radiator from the tiny room and there was a ton of soot behind it. I never felt safe in that place. Under the porch in the back there was a small storage room. The entrance was outside under the porch. My roommates went in after the door popped open one day. There was a kneeler altar-like thing and no joke a pair of girls roller skates with caked on blood and a small boy's clothes. It was creepy. We called it the goat hole. The people that moved in after us, they bought the place, completely gutted it and renovated it. I could only imagine what they found there. The property is still listed online as available to rent, although it has undergone a full refurbishment and looks a lot different to how it used to look in its darker days. Well, I guess the people who completely gutted it, those are the people that found the body of the boy in the basement. So, yeah. so I'm guessing, so okay, so Jane moved in, and then that family moved in, and then the renovators moved in. Yeah. So, ugh. Well, if it's still available to rent, do you want to go, <laughs> you can go buy it, or you can go <laughs> rent it, because I ain't doing it. <laughs> I mean, maybe if it's like $300, that's about it. <laughs> I mean, that's probably what it is. We'll yeah. have to look at it. You know they charge it more than that. I wonder, actually, hold on, I'm going to, I, I, I want to pull up zillow which i know it's i have in brooklyn <laughs> it is expensive zillow let's see hold on i have the app let's see i want to see if i can find it i'm just going to google the address no we're not going to north carolina let's see 455 a sackett street brooklyn new york let's see it pulled it up you are absolutely shitting me it is fifteen thousand dollars a month a month a month they made it sound like it was like a tiny three-story. Okay, so $15,000 a month, three bedrooms, three and a half baths. It's 1,900 square feet. Um, it became available November 30th of this year. Or I guess, okay, so that's, that's, that's the available date to go see it, I guess. Oh. Um, it's an apartment. Uh, available short-term for 30-day plus stays or longer-term. Rove is a platform for luxury, flexible lease furnished property rentals. Pricing varies by rental term. Inquire to support a rovetravel.com for rental date de- rental rate details. They probably know that no one wants to stay there very long. $15,000 a month? Jesus Christ. Okay, so it's three floors. Yeah. Bedroom. I mean, it, and it looks like, like, it's long, so it's like it's like a long apartment, so like a shotgun house. It's yeah. it's long with three stories. Uh, I mean, they have it. I mean, it's a nice apartment. Oh wow! Like it's not dark at all. No. Oh, this picture's got to go though. What the fuck? What? Uh, so I guess if you need a house, y'all, and you're super rich. I'm so not kidding. It says fifteen thousand dollars a month. They're smoking all the crack. Oh, my God. Have you seen those TikToks of the guy asking people how much they pay for rent in New York? Uh Uh-uh. People are paying, like, $3,000, and they don't even have a full kitchen. Well, at least you get a full kitchen with 455A Sackett Street. So, I mean, if you want to go live there or rent there, you can if you got $15,000 a month. But, like, that's not what I was expecting. I told you. 
but I wasn't expecting still, that high, but I don't Well, Zillow it. doesn't even say that it's haunted, but obviously it knows what it is. <sighs> Anyways, there's a term for that. It's called fuck that shit. <laughs> so, okay, so we're going to move on to the House of Death in New York City, which is also in New York City. Oh, um, forgot resources for... 455 A Sackett Street Story where donkeyjunk.com and yourghoststories.com Oh, that's why I put these stories together because they're both in New York. Yeah. Okay. But this one, the House of Death is in Greenwich Greenwich Village. And it is Greenwich. It's not Greenwich. Unless I'm wrong about that. But I'm pretty sure it's Greenwich. Okay, so House of Death, New York City. In the bustling and picturesque neighborhood of Greenwich Village, the many streets lined with 100-year-old-plus brownstones give off that classic New York City vibe. A lot of old-world Manhattan charm still exists in these city blocks and homes. But for one totally unassuming building on West 10th Street, it is locally known as the House of Death and has quite the active paranormal presence. The four-story brownstone building was constructed sometime during the late 1850s just before the Civil War had started. The lower Manhattan area neighborhood was indeed home to many aspiring New York socialites as well as some philanthropic businessmen. In fact, James Johnston, who was largely responsible for the Metropolitan Underground Railroad and the Broadway Underground Railroad, was said to be one of the first tenants of the building. One of the most startling claims from the local historians and paranormal enthusiast is that since many tenants have come and gone living over the many decades in the building that there is a claim of up to 24 individual spirits roaming its halls one of the 24 spirits is said to be that of infamous author samuel langhorn clemens which we all know as mark twain Twain was said to be a resident of the building briefly between the years 1900 and 1901, and there is even an aged plaque commemorating his stay there. But the building is not where Twain actually died. He moved on from New York City and died in 1910 in Reading, Connecticut. Although Twain died in another nearby state, somehow his spirit is haunting the building. The first sighting of it occurred sometime in the 1930s when a resident saw the much-recognizable spirit of Mark Twain staring out the window. As the spirit approached, it turned to the resident and meekly said, My name is Clemens, and I has a problem here I gotta settle, before disappearing. While Twain's ghost has been seen many times, historians have absolutely no leads as to what the problem is that the spirit is referring to that must be settled. The only lead may be that Twain was in debt to financial creditors throughout a portion of his life, and that he might be referring to an unsettled debt. Other times his spirit appears in a classic southern gentleman's all-white suit, drifting near the bottom of the staircase, displaying a sad expression on his face. Twain wasn't the only writer whose spirit is said to be lingering in Building 14. Author and actress Jan Bartell once lived in the building as well. She and her family had taken up residence on the top floor in 1957. At first, all was going well with Bartell, but late one afternoon, she personally witnessed a very large and formidable black shadow manifest in full view of her and drift right across the room. Stunned and greatly shaken by the sighting, Bartel and her family employed the help of a psychic medium to come in and try to help explain what was happening. Making this street even more macabre, 
Bartel also experienced hauntings in 16 West 10th Street, where she lived in the 1950s before moving into the Twain House. Whether these paranormal visions were left over from 16 West 10th Street or her visions in the next door house were reverberations from 14th 10th Street is left unknown. The psychic claimed to have felt the spirits of many people who had died and were buried under the building. Also, the spirit of a dead child was said to be active um, along with the spirit of an aborted baby. The aborted baby was said to have belonged to a widow who lived in the building whose husband died in the Civil War. Devastated by her loss, she chose to abort the child out of both melancholia and delirium. Bartell later moved out and chronicled some of her experiences in a book she wrote. Among other incidents she encountered was... Oh, among, the, among other incidents she encountered was the icy cold touch of a pair of unseen hands to the back of her neck and her hair, as well as other objects moving, as well as objects moving and a low growling noise that could be heard. Spindrift, Spray from a Psychic Sea, was the first-hand account that Bartell wrote on her experience in what was later called the House of Death. The building made national headlines briefly in 1987 when prominent Joel Steinberg, a former New York criminal defense attorney, moved in with his girlfriend, Hedda Nussbaum, and their two small children, Lisa, his six-year-old, illegally adopted daughter, and, and an infant named Mitchell. Steinberg, high on cocaine, savagely beat both Hedda and Lisa. Lisa was found around 7 a.m. in November of 1987 by officers responding to a call about a child not breathing. After entering the second floor apartment, they found Lisa unconscious and another baby covered in filth tied to a playpen. The baby survived, but Lisa was declared brain dead and died a few days later. That's sad. Yeah. People are crazy. People are really crazy. And that, I mean, that, that can fully lead to, you know, the haunting and stuff. Like, I don't, I, but that, that yeah, I mean, getting that really bothers by, getting me. Getting murdered by your husband. Like, it's almost like, uh, so they moved into that house and then it's almost like, a what's that house? The Amityville house. It's almost oh like yeah, that. Oh yeah, it like drives you crazy. Yeah. That's what it seems like. Yeah. Ugh, man. Steinberg was charged with first-degree manslaughter and served a lengthy prison sentence for his crime and the young girl's death. To this day, the floor on which they stayed occasionally is known to have a flicker of lights going on and off at very odd times. A possible cry for help from the young Lisa's spirit even after all these years. The house has been visited by more, multiple paranormal investigators who claim to have sensed the presence of a lady in white, a young child, and a gray cat. Today, the building is still rented out to various tenants on various floors and keeps a rather normal profile. In such a populous city as New York, the long-term history of the building is possibly only one of many that exists there. But on the sidewalks of the city that never sleeps, it holds true that neither do the spirits. That's sad. I would really like to see this house. But, like, I wouldn't... I feel like more so than anything, the the like aura of the house is not necessarily scary. I, I feel like it's more sad. I feel like it would yeah. be an overwhelming sadness. And I don't think that I could go there. 
Yeah, I'd almost rather have scary than sad. Right. Because you remember that house. Yeah. And that uh, the house that I was telling you about in Kernersville that I drove by. That's what I got from that house. It's just like <sighs> overwhelming like dread or like just sadness that something bad happened. It's not necessarily scary. I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, the spirits might haunt the place, but you don't get the scary vibe. You just yeah. get like the, oh, something bad happened here and it wasn't good. Almost like, like I've heard like people who go see like um, Civil War or um, old war memoriam memorials yeah. and stuff like that. It's just like a overwhelming sadness that... It's not scary. It's just you really don't want to, like, be there because <laughs> yeah. you just want to cry. Like, so that's what I would feel like that the House of Death would have. I don't know. Yeah, I mean. I feel like I would get I that vibe even from the outside. Yeah. Just looking at it. I wonder why Mark Twain haunts it. I don't know. I've heard of him haunting a house before, but I don't know if it was this one i don't know because they had a lot more memorabilia in there than yeah. just like the plaque but they say that he like haunts that one or maybe it was johnny cash i don't know <laughs> who knows i can't keep track of these things i don't know but i mean and it's weird that you know he didn't die there and then he still haunts it and he was only there for a year yeah which Why is would even he more weird how sentimental is it I guess it could have been. I mean, people did refer to it as the Twain House. Yeah. And I don't know if that's just because he lived there or because he was famous and he lived there. It could be either or. Yeah. So, I don't know. Still would like to see it. I just, I don't know what the feeling that I would get. I feel like I wouldn't really appreciate that feeling. I'd just go look at it and be like, oh yeah, that's sad. Hmm. Let's get ice cream. <laughs> Okay, so <clears throat> my resources for this story were untappedcities.com and frightfind.com. So, I guess that's it. We recorded three episodes today. We did the Halloween episode and we did the last one, um, which will be last week's, last week's. episode. Um, On this one. And this one. And now. And I got up at 7 a.m. <laughs> it's currently five, four fifty-one. Yeah, and we gotta leave soon because we're going and to. Our haunted attraction doesn't open till seven p.m. Yeah, and it's an hour and a half away. Yeah, we're going to Lake Hickory Haunts. I'm getting an energy drink. <laughs> yeah, my second one of the day. I took a nap earlier, but I, I'm, I don't know. I'm gonna feel it later. I don't know. Once if I'm gonna we scream, you know, from fear. I oh think yeah, we'll wake the up. adrenaline. <laughs> oh yeah. I'm so excited. I haven't been to a haunted attraction in so long, so I'm really excited. But other than that, I mean, I, I hope you guys enjoyed these stories, and I hope it wasn't too much of a downer, because dang, I didn't realize yeah. that. <laughs> but, okay, well, I guess we'll see you next time. Bye! That's it for today. Thanks for coming to hang out with us and listening to our show. 
Don't forget you can find us on social media, Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok. All the links can be found on our website, 3, the number 3, not the word, 3amtalesofterror.com. You can also subscribe with your email for updates there as well. If you have any questions for us or story ideas, you can email us at info at 3amtalesofterror.com. We hope you'll join us next week. And And we hope hope you were terrified. terrified.